As we prepare our attention now to hear God's word read and proclaimed, will you bow with me for a word of prayer? Let us pray. Gracious God, good shepherd, giver of all good gifts, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So illumine now our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we might receive with joy what you have to say to us today. These prayers we make in the name of Jesus the Christ, the word made flesh. Amen. Two texts from the lectionary for you this morning. The first from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. I invite you now to listen for God's word to you. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. And the sermon text today is Psalm 23. For the sake of nostalgia, I will read it in the King James Version. Listen once again for the word of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Can any of you guess how many miles of navigable road there are in the United States? Think about that for a moment. According to Google, there are more than 4 million miles of navigable road in our country. 
Everything from short, one-block cul-de-sacs that dead-end to Interstate 90, which is over 3,000 miles long. Some roads require four-wheel drive. Other roads are 14 lanes wide or more, like the New Jersey Turnpike, for instance. And despite all of the assistance we get from modern GPS systems that tell us not only when to turn, but which lane to turn from, most of us still get lost once in a while trying to get from point A to point B, right? Our network is a confusing one. There's much language in the Old Testament about roads and paths and the way forward. In fact, one of the most common words in Hebrew in all of the Bible is the generic word for way or path. But surprisingly, that's not the word that we find in this psalm's phrase, paths of righteousness. Instead, we find an uncommon and specific word that invokes the image not just of the road itself, but the image of wagon ruts that would gradually form in the road. These are the grooves that would accumulate along a well-traveled path over time. These ruts would indicate that this is a useful road. This is a road worth traveling. This is a road that leads to a good place. You see, the paths of righteousness in which God leads us are not strange, uncharted paths. God's path is not the road less traveled. No, God leads us in the tried and true. God leads us in the very same paths that God has led pilgrims for generations before us. These are trustworthy paths. These are proven paths. When I lived in the mountain town of Vail, Colorado, we got a lot of snow. And one night, I was one of the last cars over a high mountain pass before they closed it because of blizzard conditions. It was a terrifying descent. And what's scary about those whiteout conditions actually isn't the snow, but the wind. Because the wind blows the snowflakes into swirls that make it almost impossible to see anything in front of you. The brights of your headlights actually make it harder to see because the snowflakes reflect the light back into your eyes. As I made my way down that mountain pass, all I could see were the wheel tracks of the car in front of me. I couldn't even see its tail lights, but I could follow where its tires had just passed through the snow. Really, I couldn't see the edge of the road or the median or anything else, but I kept my focus on the wheel tracks in the road, which guided me safely down the pass and back home again. The paths of righteousness are like that. The wagon ruts of righteousness are like that. They mark the way forward in a dangerous and perilous world where there are many roads by which we might travel and many roads off which we might slip. The paths of righteousness guide our steps along the way of peace. Amen.
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The other day, the postman came to the door to deliver the mail, and my dog Billy ran to the door to bark, as he's usually inclined to do. But the door wasn't closed all the way, and Billy managed to push it open and took off along the sidewalk. And my wife, Sunel, saw him vanish out the door and took off after him. And wow, did she take off with no hesitation. In the blink of, the, of an eye, she was off the steps of our front porch, sprinting after him, adrenaline pumping for fear that he might run into the road or catch up to the postman. She caught him in no time, grabbed him by the collar, and led him back home. The psalmist says that goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our lives. The verb translated follow here has been somewhat tamed in English, as if goodness and mercy are tiptoeing along at a safe distance, keeping an eye on things but trying to remain unnoticed, the way a parent follows a child at a distance around the playground not wanting to interfere with the child's curiosity. But this Hebrew verb is much stronger than that, more aggressive than that. This verb describes the manner in which Sunel followed Billy when he got loose. In other words, goodness and mercy follow us in order to capture us. Goodness and mercy track us down Goodness and mercy remain fixated on us such that there is no way we could ever get away. On our trips to South Africa to visit Sunel's family, we often go to a game reserve called the Kruger National Park. And the greatest sight that you can see in any of these game reserves is one of the big cats stalking its next meal. It creeps along below the grass level with laser focus. If you're really lucky... You'll see a cheetah take off and pursue its prey. It's so fast, so decisive, so undeterred. God follows us with that same kind of determination. God's goodness and mercy track us down, and God's laser focus on us ensures that we will receive God's goodness and mercy come what may. God's goodness and mercy cannot be evaded. Oh, but most of us will try, at least at some point in our lives, to avoid God, perhaps even for a long time, but it won't work forever. We cannot escape the wideness of God's mercy forever, because it's like the wideness of the sea. God's goodness and mercy will not be thwarted, not even when we take off in the wrong direction, not even when we try to run into oncoming traffic goodness and mercy will eventually catch up. Amen.
Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Is there any better Easter image in all of Scripture than the image of the table that God prepares for us, even in the midst of our enemies? How remarkable it is to remember the Last Supper, when Jesus prepares a table for his disciples, while his own enemies are gathering and preparing to arrest him and send him to Pilate. Even Judas himself sits at the very table Christ prepares. You see, God in Christ is always preparing tables, tables of safety and fellowship, tables of acceptance and embrace, even in the midst of trials and tribulations, even when the enemy forces of death nip and nibble at our heels as we take our seats at the table. As the scripture says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death, but death's defeat has already been secured. Enemies can taunt and rage, and they certainly do. But Christ has reserved for us our seat at the table, and it will not be given to another, no matter how late we might be to arrive at the feast to which Christ has invited us, deterred as we sometimes are by enemies. After the resurrection, the risen Christ appears repeatedly to people around a table. The road to Emmaus story ends with Jesus joining two disciples at their table. He's been walking with them along the road all day, but they don't know who he is. They don't recognize him. But it's when he prepares the table, when he breaks bread, when he initiates the feast, that their eyes are finally opened and they recognize him. So often in scripture, tables are places of revelation, places where we come to know God and see God's promises for us. When we sit at table with one another, when we save a seat for someone who needs to know that they belong, that they are welcome, that they are loved, then we come to recognize that in fact, it was the risen Christ who prepared this table. In fact, the risen Christ is seated there with us. And indeed, the risen Christ has been journeying with us all along. And the day is surely coming when we will take our seats at the great banquet table, which is in heaven, at the place God has prepared for us. The days are surely coming when enemies will no longer surround but only the company of the redeemed. The days are surely coming when we will feast and weep no more. And there in the house of the Lord, we will dwell forever. No more a stranger or a guest, but like a child at home. Alleluia. Amen. <laughs>